Good day and welcome to another episode of Left After Breakfast, coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, broadcast from the studios of 3CR, your only radio left. My name is Susanna Duffy. In this episode, a couple more comforting little stories from the animal world. The shock decision of a court in Alabama. Media controversy about Sydney's Mardi Gras after a double murder. And finally, finally, the exit of former disgraced Prime Minister Scott Morrison. And there's something I'd like to mention, and I hope you can keep your eyes and ears open, dear listener. The number of drownings has gone up again. It's tragic to see the number of drownings. There were 281 drownings last year, but the drownings didn't stop on New Year's Eve. The figures are up now by 24%. And if you look at the people who have drowned you'll see that tourists and migrants, people who weren't born here, they're the ones who are overrepresented in these awful figures. If you were brought up like I was, as a normal little Aussie kid, we learned to swim. We had the Herald Learn to Swim School. Spent summers up at the local pool, or the baths, we used to call them. But apparently there aren't swimming lessons available anymore and tourists and people from overseas don't understand our waters. They really don't. They have no idea how treacherous they can be. And there's been some difficulty apparently that I hadn't stopped to think about. The signage for the flags that the Lifesavers Association is saying that the flag colours aren't good enough to let people see the danger You know, they're red and yellow, and apparently visitors don't understand that. Well, when you think about it, pretty crazy colours, red and yellow, what does it mean? Some tourists have looked at a beach, and there's been that section set aside with red and yellow flags. Well, I know, and you would know, that means swim between the flags. But a lot of these people, not not used to our ways, think that it means don't swim here. Those colours, red and yellow, usually mean danger and warning. So some visitors, sadly, have thought that meant don't swim here. There's yellow and red flags. Warning and danger. Let's go and swim somewhere else, away from the flags. Easy enough mistake. So there could be an idea if we can look at changing the colours of our flags on the beaches But if you see anyone, listener, wandering along the beach, they're going to go in the water, they don't look like they've been here long. Just make sure, keep your eye out, make sure people see that our beaches are not safe. They might look beautiful, and they are beautiful, but they're not very safe unless you know what you're doing. So keep your eye out, do the right thing. And here's a happy animal story. Well, a non-human story. A cephalod or kephalod, depending what school you went to. Story. It's about an octopus called Inky. Now, Inky was found in a crayfish pot by a fisherman. And he was taken to the National Aquarium in Napier on New Zealand's North Island. So he's been living in a tank in this National Aquarium 
for about a year. But just a couple of days back, he made his escape, the great escape. There was a tiny gap left at the top of his tank, a tiny gap, and he squeezed out, slid down the side of the tank, slithered across the floor, and squeezed into a 150mm drainage pipe, a pipe that leads straight into the nearby ocean. So he's out there. Good on you, Inky. You're free. Now here's a love story for you. It's about the world's oldest living land animal, a giant tortoise named Jonathan. And he's just turned 191. Yes, 191. He's lived on the beautiful island of St Helena since 1882, when he was 50. Yes, that makes Jono's birth year 1832, before the invention of the telephone, the photograph, and even the postage stamp. When he was born, we didn't even know that dinosaurs existed. He's lost his sense of sight and smell in the many decades since, but he's very happy and healthy, his vets say spending his days roaming slowly through the grounds of the governor's house. But it wasn't always so. During the 1980s, when much of the world suffered an economic depression, John O battled a personal bout. He seemed really lonely, experts said. He might have been spending time in his shell listening to Bob Dylan. We'll never know. How does a giant tortoise express feelings? He seemed really lonely anyhow. But enter Frederica in 1991, a gorgeous fellow giant tortoise who evidently lit Jono's sad old heart on fire. The two swiftly became partners but never had any kids. Well, it couldn't be helped because some 26 years after that, it turned out that Frederica was actually Frederick but the passion burns as bright as ever. And Jono still has a good libido. Good for him. Good for both of them. Good on you, Jono and Fred. He was just a lonely tortoise Looking for a home His tiny feet were blistered With the miles he'd had to roam I found him in a pet shop On his cheek there was a tear And painted on his little back was twenty pence to clear. He's a faithful friend and tortoise. He'll love you till the end. And you won't need a person with a tortoise for a friend. Three C. 
Now, if you're doing it hard, here's a little tip for you. And it's a tip from the CEO of Kellogg's, Gary Pilnick. And he says you should eat cereal for dinner to save money. Now, you might find this as garbage, or you might find it sad, or you might just be enraged. But what he's really saying is, let them eat cake, especially the cake that I sell. And I'm sorry to have to bring you an update on former Labour MP Craig Thompson. He was found guilty of receiving 25000 in COVID small business grants. This was for a cafe that no longer existed. He claimed two grants in 2020 and 2021 via the ABN of a Central Coast cafe, which he had sold in 2018 and that had closed permanently by 2020. The business had two full-time staff at the time, but Thompson put six on the form. He spent that $25,000 on a credit card, private school fees, and some shopping. And I'm sorry to hear that because I expect more from Labour politicians. Call me naive, but I expect a lot more from them. Three C. Scott says that after politics, he wants to be like Julia Gillard because she's widely respected for her post-Prime Minister conduct. Well, I could say that she's widely respected for her leadership achievements. Gonski, NDIS, the NBN and her valiant attempt at a carbon price. Not to overlook, of course, her iconic gender equality speech. And recently, of course, her works include charitable achievements with Beyond Blue, the Wellcome Trust and the Global Partnership for Education. Scott also says that Peter Dutton is doing a great job as Liberal leader. This is Peter Dutton, who in December was voted the country's least trusted politician. Well, it's happened. Finally, Scott Australia's 30th Prime Minister left the building. Scott has left the building. And not before time, listener. It's two years since he lost the Prime Ministership in the 2022 federal election. The biggest opinion poll of them all. Usually, defeated Prime Ministers tend not to hang around on the backbenches. But, of course, Scott stayed there for two years but he had more to grieve for than his predecessors did. After all, he didn't just lose the Prime Ministership, he also lost the five Cabinet portfolios he'd secretly held. And these things take time to absorb. It takes time to grieve. And of course, the salary helped quite a lot while you're sitting on your thumbs doing nothing, disregarding your constituents, to sit there smirking. So Scott left politics in a blaze of theology, urging all of us to reconnect with the Judeo-Christian values that underpinned our country's successful representative democracy. There you go. 
the Judeo-Christian values that underpin our successful representative democracy. He went on to say, we should be careful about diminishing the influence and voice of Judeo-Christian faith in our Western society, as doing so risks our society drifting into a valueless void. It's about respecting each other's human dignity through our creation, by God's hand, in God's image, for God's glory, where each human life is eternally valued, is unique, is worthy, is loved and is capable. Respecting each other's human dignity. What a pity he couldn't have respected the dignity of the robo-debt victims. And what a pity he couldn't respect the dignity of culturally and linguistically diverse communities. What a pity he couldn't respect the human dignity of women. Oh, well, that's God for you. No, that's Scott Morrison's God for you. This God who selected Scott for such big things in life. Scott's big problem was never his religion. We have had prime ministers of strong religion, mediocre religion, and none at all. The problem is that Scott saw himself through his own strange composite his belief that he was above the basic standards of accountability and behaviour of the secular world. And it wasn't really until after he was forcibly ejected from the lodge that the full scope of his belief in his own divine exceptionalism became clear to us and also became clear to his colleagues. His ardent belief in individual human dignity applied mainly to himself. He was the one chosen by God, and everyone else was on a lower level. Colleagues he kept in the dark. Voters he lied to. Us, he lied to us. He lied all the time. And if it served his interests, human life didn't have much dignity or much value at all. Robo-debt victims got no dignity from him. COVID-19 victims in nursing homes got none from him. Women victimised by political predators got none from him. Asylum seekers got none from him. The only human dignity Scott sees is for himself. But what's so very scary, listener, is that Scott was pursuing a bigger agenda. He wanted to re-establish religion in the public sphere. He said in 2022, God's kingdom will come. It is in his hands. We trust in him. We don't trust in governments. Yeah, well, Western institutions and modes of thought are not the peculiar product of Christianity, but rather they're the result of a long struggle for individual freedom of thought and expression from organised religion. And of particular personal offence to me, There's Scott's insistence that the only alternative to Judeo-Christian values is a secular void. I'm one of the 40% of Australians who state that we have no religion at all. And I can explain to him that I don't exist in a void, that I have strong values, but instead I'll have a look at Scott himself. With his Judeo-Christian values, he lied in office 
pursued unlawful policies that caused pain, suffering and death, misled and lied to his own colleagues, placed short-term political gain ahead not merely of proper leadership, but ahead of basic decency. If Scott wants to talk about a valueless void, he could start with his own bloody record. For those of you watching this at home tonight, we say farewell, as I'm sure comes as a great relief to the people of Australia. It's been an exhausting time. And they've certainly had enough of my face. It's been a shameful chapter in our national story. From badly timed holidays. This is cold. Don't be afraid. Don't be scared. It's cold. To many, many years of inaction and weak leadership. To tackling your children. Yeah, I'm fine. Better days are now ahead. But as one chapter opens, of course, another chapter closes. And I want to make sure that the last thing I say as Pam is thank you for the wonderful pension. Thank you for listening tonight and good night Australia. Three Sometimes I wonder just what is happening in the world and how mad are we all? Last week, the state of Alabama, USA, and its Supreme Court declared a frozen embryo to be a person under state law. This is an attack on science, not just on democratic rights and the constitutional separation of church and state. It came about, you see, because of a civil suit for damages by parents who had embryos accidentally destroyed at a laboratory where they'd been stored for in vitro fertilisation, IVF. Now, a lower court rejected this suit for damages, ruling that an embryo was not an unborn child, as defined in the state constitution. But those parents wanted money, and they took their case further. Now, the state's highest court overruled that lower court decision and it declared in what can only be described as Orwellian language that fertilised embryos, you know, clusters of protoplasm as small as 100 cells, were extra-uterine children, children outside of the uterus, and that they were entitled to the same protection under the state law as a living, breathing child in a classroom. It's outrageous! IVF is one of the most important medical advances of the past half century, with millions of successful implantations leading to the birth of healthy children. The Alabama ruling is a direct consequence of the US Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, which overturned Roe v. Wade, the watershed 1975 Supreme Court decision that struck down anti-abortion laws. The ruling asserted that there were spheres of life, including decisions on reproduction into which no government at state or federal level could intrude. And now it's quite clear that the ultra-right courts will not admit to any limitation on the repressive powers of the state. Now you can say, all right, that was in USA. 
and indeed in Alabama, in the Bible Belt. It could happen here next month. And remember that next time you're in the shop and you're buying yourself half a dozen eggs, just keep in mind that they're actually hens. And if you cook them and eat them, you'll be a chook murderer. 3CR Sadly, two Sydney men, Jesse Baird and Luke Davis, were murdered in what looks to be domestic violence. I hate that term, domestic violence. It's violence in the home, listener. Violence is violence. Or stalking by an obsessed acquaintance of one of the victims. Now, the alleged perpetrator is a police officer. And this is a very disturbing affair. The prevalence of domestic violence among serving police officers, the effectiveness or otherwise of police investigations of perpetrators within their own ranks, and the astonishing instances of officers continuing to serve despite convictions for domestic violence. And you really have to look at what's going on, not just in New South Wales, but in other states. It's interesting to look at the amount of coverage that crime has drawn when you compare it to the coverage afforded most victims of domestic homicide. And of course, all the bad coverage of the search for the victims in the wake of their killing and the alleged role of a police officer. But of course, one of the victims had a connection with the media industry and that fueled further media interest beyond what's normally given to such crimes. Look, this could may well be a good thing. Perhaps now the media will regularly devote more resources to all victims of domestic homicide and the way that police respond to them. However, I was very disappointed with the New South Wales Police Commissioner, Karen Webb, when she referred to the murders as a crime of passion. A crime of passion. It's got a ring almost of romance about it, hasn't it? Crime of passion refers to a violent crime, usually homicide, in which the perpetrator commits the act against someone because of a sudden strong impulse such as jealousy rather than as a premeditated crime. There was a high level of social and legal acceptance of crimes of passion, historically associated with France from the 19th century right up till the 1970s and until very recently within Latin America. But despite this high level of coverage, the horror of the murders has been strangely subsumed within a debate about whether police officers should participate in the Sydney LGBTQIA plus community and the annual Mardi Gras. There's an incredible outpouring of opinion from both sides, you know, all about should the police be allowed to join the Mardi Gras Who do these people think they are stopping the police going? Well, I'd like to really point out to those people against it that it's really up to the committee of people who run the Sydney Mardi Gras that they can choose who participates 
and who does not participate. Let's forget about this culture war, for heaven's sake, listeners. Let the people who run the Mardi Gras run the Mardi Gras on their terms. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the ride. See you next week. Same time, same place. Until then, it's cheerio and ciao from Left After Breakfast. And I leave you with Dragon and old fading memories of a ukulele. Summer's